The two multiplied together is the angel's share, part de ange. If you mature the whiskey at Orkney, the angels don't get much because the wind blows it away so quickly. Welcome to my podcast, Spirit and Spice. I'm Gilly Bashan, a writer and broadcaster with a passion for food. Not just the food on my plate, but the people and the stories behind it. So Mick, you uh, work here at the yeah. Distillery. Tell me exactly what your job is. Uh, I'm employed as a distillery technician. That role it's got uh, pretty much encompasses everything to do within the distillery piece. When you're on shift here, it's got you're a single man operator. Uh, so you're basically the only person on the on the site. So your job can involve taking them all in at the start of the process, doing the milling, doing the mashing, fermentation, the distilling, and basically any jobs in between that uh, on a day-to-day basis. So it's such a small distillery that there's only ever one person here at a time? Yeah, we, we run a, a five-man rotor. Uh, so we do have a spare man called a tech shift guy who comes in for office hours during the daytime. So there is cover there during the office hours, but uh, for the bark shift and for the night shift, you're purely on your purely on your own. Is that quite a big responsibility? It is. I mean, that's what you get paid for. You get paid for the responsibility, I suppose. So. Yeah, but I guess it's a kind of routine job anyway. Yeah, so. it's very much. It's, it's, it's a process. So the process is, is practically the same the whole time. Although you do get um, problems, complications within that process that you have to kind of act on your feet. But during uh, 90% of the time, it's just a repeated process that's happening. You need more than that process, making adjustments to that process as well. And have you had a chance to go down and visit distilleries on the mainland? Because there's only two here. Sure, yeah, but it's the beauty of working with Shivers. They've got 13 other sites on the mainland. So I've been through most of them. Uh, and recently I was on the mainland and worked in Dalmunich Distillery for a couple of weeks. So it was great. Just seeing different distilleries, different ways to do things, different ways to run and obviously on a, a much bigger scale than, than what we have here at Scapa. And what's what's the competition like with um, Scapa and Highland Park? Do you feel there is competition I or do you think there's think room so. for two? No, there, there's room because there's two different products. I mean, mm. Highland Park is predominantly a peated malt, yeah. where at Scapa it's a more light, a light fruity malt. There's a bit of banter between the workers, I would say. One of the things I've noticed uh, since being in Orkney for a very short period of time is there's a lot more of a kind of community spirit than there is in parts of the mainland. With all the food producers that we've met, they're sort of working together, they're happy to help each other, and they help use each other's products and different things. I would, I would assume that applies to the whiskey as well, in a way, because there are only two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was... In my previous life, I was part of the Orkney Quality Food Group, which is a, a group set up to promote Orkney products. Uh, and I believe that Scarpa is, is part of the Orkney Quality Food uh, Group. So it's a great marketing tool. It's a great showpiece for Orkney, promoting not only whiskey, but they do wine, beers, and all manner of foods, cheese, meat. And, and I think people are coming here a lot more because of the whiskey and the food. You know, we're here because of the Science Festival. Yep. You now hear scaffold on the tips of people's tongue a lot more than I'd ever heard before. Usually it was only ever Highland Park. Yeah, definitely. I would say since the distillery reopened, we've got production going again. Obviously the marketing's starting to take off. We've certainly noticed that the local market is interested in the scarping again. And once you get the local market, you know you're doing something right. So when you say you're here on your own, you're doing absolutely everything. So you're doing the cutting as well. Mm-hmm. So is that now... 
all written down, like you all know exactly how much to take? We have, uh, we call it a recipe card that we have uh, at the safe, so we know obviously the temperature uh, and the readings varied from cut to cut, so we know from a certain temperature what cut the, the cut of the spirit is. So it's laid down there in black and white, so we just follow that uh, as guidance, really. So do you think any of your family will follow in your footsteps? Uh, I don't know. It's a, let's say it's a brilliant industry to be in, so if the opportunity arises, I, should, I certainly wouldn't say, say no. I would, I would certainly push them in the right direction. Yeah, it's a good, a good industry to be in and a good company to be in as well. Gillette, who's standing here beside me, stays in the brace of Glenlivet, where we've had distillery. We've the highest distillery, we claim. Don't tell Dasha because they claim it's not winning. <laughs> but Gillette's 200 feet above that in the remotest part of Speyside. Uh, so we've a distillery there. We've 12 malt distilleries in Speyside. But Scarpa is one of the ones that gives us the most fun. Believe it or not, it, it gives us fun. It gives us a nightmare sometimes with uh, weather and conditions. Self-managed team, very much, making this. There you go, that's a new make. Very strong new make at uh, Scarpa. The cut point off to uh, faints is very high at Scarpa. There's a reason for that. It's to produce a light, delicate spirit. Light and delicate sometimes work against each other. But this was for a blending whiskey. Townsend said in 1908 he was making it for blending. That's why it's had ups and downs in its career. That's why we think it's an important whisky in the portfolio to make a big single malt scarpa. It's a remote distillery, it's an island distillery, it's unique, it's got a fantastic history. There's a rule in the distillery, you don't look out that window in the still house in the morning. That's to leave you something to do in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so when we make a spirit crystal clear, see the bead in it, 68%. You were asking about the filling strength, 63.5, that's 111 proof. You know why it's called proof? You mix it with gunpowder, put a match to it, and if it goes bam, the whiskey has been proved. That's where the word comes from. That's why all the illicit distillers in Glenlivet never had any eyebrows when they tasted <laughs> the strength of their whiskey. But we do know that what they did, they shook it for the bead. If you've got teenage daughters in the house and they have a party when you're away, you go back and your whiskey's still the same level, you shake it and you say they've reduced it with water. That's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a new make spirit. That's the first one and we're going clear to dark. Put your nose in it. Every Tuesday, Scarpa is nosed down in Speyside and it's nosed exactly how you were told the malt was sampled, against a control. And they smell pineapple. And they smell leather. Does anybody smell their first school bag? <laughs> now, I'm, I'm now doing the worst thing I can do in a tasting is auto-suggest to you. Because if I say something, you'll pick it up. When the nosing team noses it, they nose it blind against the control, like the malted barley, and they write down, they describe it. Then we compare notes. Now, to me, pineapple chunks, but the old-fashioned sweetie character. Delicate, nice, soft in the nose, touch of florals, 
Remember, when we nose it, it's 20% alcohol for testing because my noses would be burnt out of there. It's got a funny biscuit end to it. Ah, cereal. Yeah. <laughs> Just picking up. I'm looking for more a honey note in the spirit. And that's real scarpa and peated whiskey. But you might find other notes in the new make spirit. The old manager at Stuart Perry mm -hmm. always says it reminds me in my first school bag, that leather satchel note. So that's a scarpa. Oh, little story. It's turned blue. Done blue. That's the essential oils they're coming out in the whiskey and they drop out at a lower water strength. It just looks like it's reflecting your shirt. Yes. <laughs> so that's a really good example of because it was 68%. That's it coming out of the bat and going into gas. Look at the pictures behind you. Did you hear all your health and safety today? Do you see the gentleman here? With big samples, but <laughs> he's not allowed to smoke in the warehouse. Do you know why that is? So the ash doesn't go into the whiskey. It's not about it blowing up. <laughs> that was the story at the Eagle and Levitt distillery years ago. So I'm going to take you to the Scarpa Skirin. Glittering Skies, it says. That's a Norse word. The only Norse word I know is Skull and Scarpa. This whiskey's been aged for a good number of years. We don't tell you in the label, but remember it is to be three years to be Scotch whiskey. It's a good bit older than that, because you put your nose in. 40% alcohol, so on the nose it's lighter, but I always put a wee drop of water to release that fresh, freshness of the whiskey. That is true Scarpa. Floral. I would say less fruit than I would expect in a space but what I love is that lovely heather, honey characters of the scarpa. Orchard fruits, apples. Also, I often think it tastes is very subjective. At certain times of day, you'll taste different. You'll say, ah, it's breakfast time. What am I going to pour in my porridge? <laughs> yeah. So as the day develops, you, your mood develops. And, you, and as the weather develops, you maybe want a heavier sort of spirit. Remember, remember all these guys were drinking whiskey. It was a local liquid that they converted to some of that crop. They were putting away some barley for feeding their cattle, the oats for themselves. The beer barley was growing. Highland Park would have been exclusively beer a hundred years ago, but then it phased out as the new varieties came in. Great interest in the beer barley. Gilly, you were telling the story today about the beer over at the Barney Mill, and some of the distillers are back looking at that. Because it grows so well up here and it grows so quickly. Uh, obviously, it's important for the farmer as yield, but these things are being understood better. So that's Scarpa Skirin. Got a lovely, well-matured whiskey. Something that we often say to folk is, have a look at the whiskey to see what you're tasting. You can see age. And you can pay great money for age, which I was looking at my old notes about it. I noticed that the notes there say honey melon. It's more apple to me. And also the pineapples are coming out. That pineapple-y note that I like it, Scarpa. McGowan's toffee to me. <laughs> See how your senses go back to your childhood to give you that sort of experience. <laughs> First thing it comes into your head. 
few years ago, the guys and girls at marketing says, we want a PT Scarpa to compete. We says, well, you can wait about 15 years for it. <laughs> so, but what we did was we took whiskey, an American cask, and we put it into a cask that had heavily peated whiskey in it before. For some reason, we can't tell you which of the heavily peated whiskey. So you just have to guess where all the heavily peated whiskey is made in Scotland. <laughs> and uh, So why would Chivas have heavily peated casks? Well, of course, when you blend uh, Ballantines and you blend Chivas Regal, you, took, you take a little bit of peat in and you introduce peat into it. The records here was that they took the peats from Caldale, out to the back there. You can still see the road into the peat moss. There's a guy who wrote a book in 1887. The newest distillery he visited at about that time was the perfect model of a distillery. And where was it? It was Little Scarpa. It wasn't that little, it was quite a large distillery at the time. But they were wanting peats to heat the water here for the, the sailors during the wars, because they used to take baths in the washbacks at both of the distilleries. <laughs> the distillery actually stored potatoes and we've read in the records over at Stromness that they, uh, they stored potatoes in the malt barns and they stored beer for the naffy. And if it's anything like the distilleries in Speyside, they also housed the, the billeted staff on these distilleries. In the Speyside, they used to steal whiskey. <laughs> they stole a cask at Royal Brackler Distillery and to stop it rolling down the road where you hear it rumbling, rumble, rumble, they put it in two ladies' bikes and wheeled it out of the way of <laughs> 1917 to 1919, distilling malt whisky was prohibited. Across Scotland? Across Scotland. And it was to conserve food stocks. The U-boat campaign was yeah. Scotland. But Lloyd George wanted to take the United Kingdom the same way as America. He wanted to introduce prohibition. His famous quote is that the alcohol's doing more damage than the shells the Germans are fighting at us. So, sorry I digress as usual. Uh, I'm getting a look from the wife there. Uh, so we've added peat to it. It's more like bonfire peat to me. You see the vanillas, you see the fruit at the back of it, but you're getting a sort of bonfire note from the peat. That is a casket and heavily peated, and that's an effect it can give back to a whiskey. So if you do it now, go and love it, does it? I find the peat more on the palate than on the nose. I think the balance with the vanillas, guess where they come from? That influence of the toffee of, of uh, top, toffee heather with the scarpa reacting with the peat. But I find it a very well balanced whisky. And when a distiller means balance, it means the flavours are in the right place and in the right sort of combinations. Now we're getting moved to the cask strength whisky. 16 year old, 60.9, rule of thumb a whiskey loses half a percent volume per year. <laughs> These whiskies are non-chill filtered, so it may go cloudy, and I've just been explaining to the Chinese, and we, what we were doing is throwing lots of ice into the cask strengths to show how it goes cloudy. Now, when we started doing these whiskies, Springbank was really a four bit bearer. It was just because they couldn't afford the chill filtration plant, so they put their whisky strengths up, 46%. That's a strength that will remain. It was the first world war, it pushed us down to 40. 
pushed us lower and that upset some of the whiskies. That is pure pear drops to me. 16 year old, American, probably a bourbon, does it say? I've forgotten. Now, a distiller would describe that as a rich estuary spirit. Ideal for your Ballantines blends that are looking for that character. Creamy. Do you see it? Mouthfeel is slightly different than the last two. Yeah. Because we haven't chill filtered out and taken out the clouds, the bits. You get this lovely coating to your mouth. And it's, it's actually an attractiveness. And that's why these whiskies are, uh, are such good fun. Tasting notes go on forever. That's a good sign. That shows the complexity of the whisky. You'll get the zestiness, the rich orchard fruits. See the, see the taste of notes, nice and long, lots of character in it. One of those whiskies, if you go back to, you'll find more and more in the whisky. Now we get moved to an 18 year old. Right, that nose. You see the sweetness, it's going to sugary now. Candied notes in it. Very smooth. <laughs> <laughs> Do you work in a distillery? Because that's no. what we do when we go to another distillery. Yeah. I've got a close friend who works at one of the distilleries and when he comes and tastes my whiskey, he goes, very smooth. <laughs> this is 18 year old now. This comes in at a strength of 52.5. So it's lost 11% during its maturation. It'll lose volume as well. And the two multiplied together is the angel share. Part de Ange. If you mature the whiskey at Orkney, the angels don't get much because the wind blows it away so quickly. <laughs> if you look at that 18 year old, the woodiness will give you a nice dry note in the back of it. Again, this is whiskey made in that very difficult period for Scarpa. Probably was within an inch of disappearing. Maybe as a warehouse for Highland Park or something. We're, we're looking at it 15 years on, 16, 17 years on. Craft is important. Is there a uniqueness about it? Is there a heritage to it? Is there a quality about it? And that's why so much of the, the Scarpa aged whiskey is that quality. Here's one of the ones that we did, March 2006. I'll leave this one down for my uh, daughter's birthday. It's a favourite. <laughs> what do you smell? Can anybody smell Burnham rubber? No. You love Brussels sprouts, don't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anybody get strut marches in it? And a few years ago, we're nosing the whiskey, and I said to somebody, I said, I don't like that. He says, you, you don't like Brussels sprouts. And so, uh, I'm one of those persons that either to be coated in chocolate or deep fried, you know? So in the older days, these casks were set in hand. Nowadays, we have to go to the bodega in Spain we have a contract. They are seasoned with Orozo sherry for two years and then they're emptied and they're taken to Scotland. They're worth more than the whiskey it's put into them. To me that's black cherries, that's that raisin note, that ripe raisin note. As a distiller I'm also looking to see if I can pick up bits of this scarpa character. Tar. That's right. It smells like tar. Yeah, yeah. You go along a road, they've tarred the road, and there's been a shower of rain. You see, there you go. That, that's the note. <laughs> that tells you it's been cherry matured. The European oak will give more compound into the spirit. The American oak's very hard. 
That's why they char it, to activate it. They charred it to bend it into shape, but they also found that the bourbon whiskey matured better if it was charred. They found this out years ago. But remember, a lot of these distillers probably came from these parts of the world, taking that knowledge over. They, they made uh, herring barrels. There'd been big cooperage around here as well. So that's the 12-year-old, and it's, it's a nice strength, 61.1%, so very strong. But you see how this, the sherry softens it, but yet allows some of that character of Scarpa to come through. So thank you very much for joining me in the tasting. <laughs> Yeah, in the last 10 years I've been master distiller uh, for Deagle and Levitt. Prior to that, I, I've always been in production. That started in 1975 at Glenfartless. So I started there beside my grandfather's farms, or my great-grandfather's farms as well. And uh, I just fell into Scotch whisky distilling as a hobby. As a hobby? No, it was a summer job showing the visitors around and from there I got a job in the distillery and I suppose it just carried on. Still looking for the job I ultimately want but I don't know what it is. So. I think you might have that. A lot of folk a lot of folk tell me that. Yes, I'm incredibly lucky and I, I, as you know I, I love the heritage of it. I love the I love understanding the terroir of, of these things. I think yourself, Gilly, the compliment to the, the whiskies we, we've been doing recently is, is amazing. I think that shows you how versatile the spirit can be. You know, you've been doing the food forage and uh, to complement some of our brands. And That's you've been good. doing the eating, so it yes. works out quite well. Well, I find that quite easy. <laughs> I find that very good. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's a different way of looking at it. And, of course. And, and it's sociable. It's yeah. with food. So I think that's important yeah, It picks too. up on the storytelling aspect yes. and, and that sort of conviviality aspect yes. that, that so many people talk about nowadays. That, that's yeah, right. Which is the bit that you fit in so well. Oh, all right. you do oh, tell thank the you. stories. And so where have you been lately? Where has this all been taking you? Oh, gosh, uh, from somebody that hardly travelled with my job, but I, I, this year has seen me in uh, Japan for the first time, China, mainland China for the first time, speaking about whiskey, speaking about, as master still of the Eagle, I love it, speaking about that, as a curator of the secret space side, I've been speaking about that, and I've also was very privileged to go and to the opening ceremony of the single malt whiskey distillery that uh, Pernod Ricard Asia is building in China, called the Emission Distillery, so... Uh, but to speak about Scotch whisky because there's an increasing interest in uh, whisky in these markets. So. so you've become a different type of ambassador. You're yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. Almost like telling people about the provenance, about the story, yes. but also trying to encourage them to perhaps that's come. Absolutely come. Uh, I find that if I visit or folk have visited before, they're left with this wonderful experience of Scotland, such a versatile country. I think the best example is in our area in Speyside. You travel out a lower Speyside and go up into the mountains. Everybody has always thought that mountains was this strange place, but they find it's this beautiful, fragrant place. I think it's so important that the, you speak about the foraging. And also we make 
fantastic whiskies in these different places. And they still do reflect the region, the area they come from. They're rooted in the roots. Scarpa can't be made anywhere else. Braval can't be made anywhere else. Deagle Levitt can't be made anywhere else. So they're rooted in that. And they've these fantastic heritage stories. It's a simple product. In China, I was amazed I went to the distillery and fascinated how they'd learnt distillation and how did that get exchanged? How did, you know, I think Scotland was probably late in the chain. We know it's traced from Iraq. Judging with what I've seen in India and China lately, I think did the silk roads and these things open up? We, we took all our spices from these different countries. What else did we take? We know that the migration of distilling knowledge came by the Mediterranean up, but the local ingredients were used. What was that? Barley. How was it made to make sugar? They malted it. You know, There's all these fascinating stories out there. And a lot of them still to be rediscovered. The last few years, uh, Shivas is looking at the cast types and their influence. The remember they have to be oak to be uh, meet the Scotch whisky, but uh, in fact I'm going to America to speak about the Captain's Reserve, which is going to be a 14-year-old in the United States, and that's us taking cognac casks to do a finish, a reserve of the Glenlivet 14. I do a lot of work with Captain's yeah, Reserve. Good. Would you like to take me with you? Because you know, <laughs> considering I did all the finger food for Captain's Reserve. Oh, well, we're, we're doing a whistle-stop tour of America in about a week's time. So tell me about the Winchester collection. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, that's named after you. Yes, that was a great honour again. Uh, the first one started in 2014. Imagine my surprise when they says, oh, here's the bottle. It's got Winchester written on it, and uh, we're now in our third one. I think it'll be the last of the Winchester collection, but that doesn't mean to say there'll be aged collections of the Glenlivet in the future, but they've been great fun as well. And these are whiskies, you know, laid down by the old guys of the industry when I started, you know. Uh, I remember when it was laid down, because I would only been about 10. If the whisky's really good, it's all my work, but if it's not, we'll blame Mr. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> but, fantastic but it is whiskey. an honour though it's a lovely, lovely it's whiskey hardly cheap no 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 <laughs> but you've managed to get a bottle or two no no I've managed to get a taste or two the bottle I got in 2016 went for auction and the lucky person who bought it will lay down a cask for them for 50 years time when you get into whiskey at that level, it's a whole different ballgame, yes, isn't it? Right. It's not yeah. like just walking in, doing a tour and buying a bottle. There's a whole other world that goes on. And that's very much what you're part of nowadays, yes. isn't it? And these whiskies, all the ages are, are important to show a style. There's the skirin. It, it's amazing how well it's uh, represented over here in Orkney. I was drinking Scarpa Glanza in China. At a dinner that we were at. That would actually go very, very well with Chinese food. Exactly, well. and again, it, it's the food speaking to the Chinese palate. Mm. That would never have been discussed when I started. No, in no, no, no. It was never, never something to drink with food. No. Huge change. Absolutely. So you have retired. Um, Semi-retired, I'm calling it. Yes. Yes, yes, because yeah. you're as busy as ever. <laughs> so do you think you'll ever retire from whiskey? That's a, that's a good question. Well, there's there's me retired. What am I doing? Do maybe researching some more of the bits that we don't know. Or we're needing a wee bit cleared up. Uh, 
Uh, what have I been doing? Well, visiting some of the distilleries I've never seen round, and also very keen when I travel abroad to see things. Maybe a, a spirit that's maybe not as popular in the West, but understand why some of the spirits are so big in certain other markets, and understand that what you find is that they're very much uh, anchored the same as same as our whiskey industry it was forced underground it was it was a peasant thing to do it was something to turn some of that spear barley into a cash crop definitely what my great great grandfathers would have been doing so it's fascinating to see that and also it's fascinating to see scotch whiskey develop in to this and very sophisticated big collectors of uh, whiskey but they always ask me if I have a big collection, I don't, because I tend to drink, drink them. It. Yes. Or <laughs> <laughs> your, your teenage daughters do. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not, teenage, teenage, they're not teenagers <laughs> now, but funny enough, they still drink it. Yeah. Well, yeah. as we live in the same area, I know I'm going to be seeing you around looking for illicit stills. <laughs> or yeah, I'm doing well with them. That's been a project that we've been doing, and uh, I've got a couple of colleagues who are very keen in it as well. So, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah takes us out into the beautiful area. Uh, something I always say to folks is to see it as remote and wild. This is it's a wee bit more complex than that. It's it's maybe remote, it can be wild, but it's fragrant, it's fascinating and it's our heritage as well.